This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. And welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Football Review here on Clutch Radio, the A-League Live app, or wherever you get your podcast. James is out this week, so I'm in the hosting chair. I'm joined as usual by Adam and our last-minute transfer winner signing Ed Jackson from the AAP. Mate, Ed, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Scott. How are you, mate? Good. Great to have you on the show for the first time. That's a pleasure. Adam, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. For, for a Wednesday, anyway. Absolutely. We do have a game later on this afternoon, so we'll get straight into this. and we'll start by recapping the A-League men's action from Sunday afternoon, after oh, the evening at AJ, oh, no, at Morton Daly Stadium. I'm really getting confused at the moment. At Morton Daly Stadium, it was a 3-1 win for the Brisbane Roar over MacArthur FC. Goals from Nicola Malilis in the second minute. Corey Brown on the hour mark and Henry Hoare 12 minutes from time. And Adam, it was a pretty comfortable home win in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think a case of the Raw set out to really sort of, you know, start fast and they got the perfect start scoring after two minutes. And uh, look, MacArthur did, just did not look like the races at all, especially in the first half. Absolutely. Ed, and again, another early goal from Nicola Milius. He's certainly in great goal scoring form at the moment, isn't he? I think it's five in six for him now. He did, he did. And Warren made the point after the game as well, talking about the fact that it was just a really nice team goal. And actually, if you watch it back, he's absolutely right. Like um, The build-up play was sensational. The ball from Jay to get him behind, and, and Nicola was straight onto it, caught the defence out. It's probably one of the things that's been questioned about MacArthur recently is sort of the pace at the back that they've got there. They've got a lot of experience, but maybe not a lot of quickness. And that seemed to be something they really... Um, picked up on early and a fantastic start. It just set the template for the whole day. Oh, it's a great point you make as well, Ed, because the it was short, sharp interplay, wasn't it? Stuff from Steinman and O'Shea and Lascano in the build-up. And that's really what they've all been looking for, isn't it? They haven't really found too much of that in the first third of the season, have they? But that might be something that they can build on. Yeah, and I mean, if, if somebody, if somebody, whether it's Miller Uznich or whoever, if somebody can start getting on the end of Jay's sort of intelligent through balls that he can play. I mean, he's such a creative player. You just need someone on the end to finish him off. But if, if Nikola Miliosinic is going to be that guy, it's it's going to be a real weapon. So um, it was really good signs. I actually I actually thought, I mean, they've, they've, won, they've won three games now at home, but I actually personally thought that that was probably the Raw's best performance of the season. They, they really just dominated that game. They could have won it by a lot more, actually. I tend to agree with that as well, Adam. It was probably a better performance than one against Western Sydney against what is a better side. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is fair to say. It seems to be for the Raw, it's it's coming more together where I didn't get West Western Sydney. You could see where you know their deficiencies lie. And the Raw sort of almost fell into some opportunities there. But that, that first goal, especially, and as well as the second goal that Corey Brown scored, that was just good team play. And yeah, Jay O'Shea, he's uh really sort of staying to feel comfortable in that playmaking number 10 role. And again, him, his combination of Miliusnich is um, really sort of you know, putting Raw to the fore at the moment. So it's a good point you make about Joe Shea as well, though, Adam. And Ed, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of discussion on the show about Joe Shea and what's the best position for him in the side. For me, I think he's better when he's got that license to get a bit more forward from the mid- midfield. Where where do you think he's best utilised in this Brisbane Raw setup? Yeah, I, I think um, I think you're right. I think he's he is he is better in sort of that number ten more than a sort of a six role. He's, if you play him too deep, I don't think his his creativity is as effective. I think it's easier for defences to just pick out where the pass is going. Whereas if he's playing a bit more advanced, he's going to be playing in behind the defence, and that probably works a bit more. He is such a creative force, and he's so key to how Warren wants to play. Like he is the he is basically the fulcrum of the whole attacking system. So if you can get him up there, it really will, you know, um, I guess make what they're trying to do work a lot better. Um, it really also depends on getting somebody like a Steinman who is, I guess, improving, but also the potential of Connor Chapman coming in there and playing in that holding role as well. It just perhaps gives them a bit more options to, as you say, to advance Jay into that more attacking area. We'll get to Connor Chapman later on in the show, which is Raw's latest new signing. But Adam, how, what, how, what's your view on the shape of the midfield? Because I thought that on Sunday, that's probably the best that midfield trio has worked together this season. 
Yeah, look, I, I think the yeah, I think the best three at the moment they have is O'Shea, Steinman, and uh, Akbar. Because I think they they bring three different sort of you know types of midfielders. Um, I think Jesse Daly maybe a tad unlucky, but uh, but we've always said, and, and that's sort of always gone as far as Jesse Daly's time with Rama Akbar. That we always thought they were sort of one the same in the beginning, but Akbar seems to have developed more of an attacking sort of role where where Daly seems to play that you know that traditional number six and maybe. Maybe it's a case of you now it's either Steinman or Daly, you know, can't be in the same side. Whereas, you know, last season it was Daly and Akbar who seemed to be interchanging depending on what, what the game situation was. So, but I think at the moment that that's the three. How Connor Chapman fits in, um, that's that's going to be the very interesting task. I think it's a nice headache for Warren Moon to have. We've both brought up Connor Chapman, so we might as well just jump to that now and talk about him briefly. Now, so the Raw have signed Connor Chapman for from from Boost, no, from FC Seoul in the K League. He hasn't played for a while. Ed, do you know, do you have any idea when we might be able to see see Connor in action? And do you think it will be in the midfield as opposed to defence? Because he is pretty versatile. Yeah, I, I think the, the natural, it seems to be where his career has progressed. He hasn't played as a sort of central defender for a while. Most of the time that he played in Korea, his first stint before he came back for, for that short stint at Western United, he had basically moved into that holding midfield role. So I think that's where he sees himself now. It's probably good to have the option of having somebody who can slot in either position. Um, but I just think, I think he's probably been brought in to provide a bit of competition for Steinman in that sort of midfield holding role. Um, and it's probably not a bad thing as well. I mean, Matty Steinman's, he's, he's performing better, but I wouldn't say he's exactly been burning the house down with the way he's been playing. So maybe a bit of competition's good for him. Um, and I think it's probably definitely good for the team. So um, in terms of when we might see him, I think it's probably still a fair way off. As far as I know, he's definitely not going to be involved in either of this week's games. Um, so I guess there's probably a lot of time there. And it seems to be something that we've seen in the past with the Roar as well. They, they tend not to rush guys straight in. They tend to give them time to build up their conditioning and, and whatnot. So I wouldn't expect to see him for at least a fortnight it does round out a pretty yeah. pretty good um, transfer window, doesn't it, as well there, Adam, with Rio Wada in there as well. Two, two pretty good additions to the squad. Yeah, well, it looks like the Raw obviously are you know, signing sort of needs rather than just whatever is available. Um, yeah, Con Chapman, as to Ed's point, you know, he does provide competition not only for uh, May Stein, but also Jesse Daly. And um, as well, Rio Wado uh, comes in, you know, Japanese striker on loan uh, from Sagantosu. He, and obviously as well, you know, it's a well-documented, you know, the raw sort of, you know, frailties up front, you know, it's not, maybe not so now, much now, but sort of definitely they could do with another striker. And I, I think he um, will come to the mix at some point as well, especially as competition to Juan Lascano. So then you, you mentioned the Corey Brown goal, let's all get back to the game. It was a really good finish one from a player. He doesn't score too many, but that was a, a cracking finish into the bottom corner after a good cross in from Jack Ingot. Yeah, I mean, it was a sensational finish. And I know um, Corey will be delighted to have got on the score sheet. He will have loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, he, the one thing that, that Corey Brown does do, and I think it's probably why he's a bit of a Warren Moon favourite, he, he is a really attacking fullback. He does bomb forward. He does, and, and that is something that Warren likes to do. He likes his fullbacks to get wide and, and really hit the byline sort of thing. So yeah, it's good if he can start delivering some end product as well with finishes like that. It would be sensational. And, I mean, he's... He's probably a bit of an, maybe a slightly underrated player. I don't know how, maybe he's quite well rated within the Raw fraternity, but I think widely in the A-League, he's probably slightly underrated, Corey. He's very experienced. He's been around for a while and he, he does a job. He does a shift every time he plays. Well, I think uh, sort of globally, I think you know, left backs, you know, are generally hard to find. And I think Corey Brown provides, you know, a very, very stable option for the raw left back. Yeah, it's nice to see him go on the score sheet, but uh, just a nice strike, you know, and that's and that's where Raw need to start scoring goals from as well. Uh, typically, we seem to find with the Raw that they're trying to sort of almost pass into the back end at times. So to have someone shoot from, you know, from the edge of the box and actually score, I think that that sort of, you know, does open up, you know, a little bit of a weapon for the Raw to be able to, um, to you know, really sort of, you know, stop, stop the predictability of um, of defensive snuffing out their attacks. I see that you can go first. It's on the third goal from Henry Hoare. It's a player who we've seen develop quite nicely actually in his time now with the Brisbane Raw since he got that first goal against Perth. He's really starting to look like he, he feels he belongs to this level, doesn't he? He had what was, he was given Mandela a match on Sunday and I thought he was one of the best players on the park. He, he was, yeah. He, um, 
he he and we've and we spoke about it, like he's starting to look like a, a an A League player rather than a player that you know is an MPL player you know playing his first season in in the A League and yeah he's just looking comfortable by the day and while while you now Warren Moon sort of you know is so quick to put a lid on it and, and say you know he can still provide a lot more he uh, definitely started to show as a you know, a decent option on that uh, right hand wing. Yeah, you're a bit closer to the team than we are most of the time. Um, do you get the sense that Henry feels a bit more confident around the A-League setup now? I, I, I mean, I, I've been very impressed by him. I mean, you guys probably know his background far more and seen far more of him than I would have. But I, I didn't. I mean, we've seen a lot of players that Warren's given chances to have come through the MPL into the A-League sort of thing. I reckon he's one of the best that we've seen. He's, he's adapted to the league brilliantly. I think he... Seems to just really play with a lot of confidence. He he has that sort of belief that I guess sometimes you don't see with these guys making that step up. They don't necessarily want to sort of make maybe it's fear of making an error or something like that. They kind of play a bit within themselves. He doesn't seem to do that. He's got a lot of confidence. He seems to link up very well with Jay as well, which is you know great to see. Um, oh, I, I mean I get I get Warren playing it down. That's absolutely what he's going to do. That's how he. That's how he goes. I don't think he's going to go around telling everyone he's found the superstar and things like that. He's going to keep very much keep Henry's keep Harry's feet on the ground and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, we're we're looking at a pretty special talent if, if Brisbane can keep him going like that. I mean, he's 22, so he's not like super young, but I mean, he's young enough that if you give him a good run, you could have quite a talent there. I reckon. See, it's just a quick feat, isn't it, as well? And that's the thing that really stood out for him at the MPL level. His quick feet ability to beat a player in close areas. We're starting to see a little bit of that. We're also seeing M Prokman, which we didn't see as much of in the MPL. We're seeing a bit more of that at this level. Yeah, and it was a cool finish, the one that he did on the weekend as well. It shows a, a real sort of a real sort of maturity there that he, he didn't he didn't rush it, he didn't ride a blaster or anything like that. It was just a really calm finish and I think that's two goals in about four or five games for him now. So you know, you can't complain to the, the output he's delivering. It could have been three, Adam. It was a bit of a close offside call to drive the second one. Yeah, um, exactly. That would have really sort of, you know, you know, sort of made his night. But uh, yeah, look, uh, Henry Hall, you know, he, he's really sort of, you know, starting to, as we said, show show his walls, you know, as a um, as an A League player, and long may it continue. That's what we thought of the game. Now let's hear what Warren Moon had to say on Sunday night after the Royals three run went over Macarthur FC. Yeah, performance great. Um, did everything I asked um, in terms of how we wanted to play against them. And uh, yeah, look, again, three goals, plenty of cr- uh, chances created and uh, deserved winners. Do you feel like it's starting to all start to come together a little bit with the team? No, no, no. We're nowhere near yet where we need to be. You know, If it was coming together, we'd, we'd string performances uh, back to back and that's the challenge for us now. So it's a great start to the week, but we go down to Wellington, uh, sorry, to uh, Sydney to play Wellington, and then off to Tasmania to play Perth. And, uh, you know, when we can start to be consistent over a number of matches and uh, put in those types of performance and pick up points, then, then I think we can start to say uh, we're getting to where we need to, you know, because the performances are good, and performance was actually pretty good at times um, in difficult conditions against Newcastle. But, but for us as a group now, we need to make sure we're uh, picking up points and, and, and turning these performances into something meaningful. And that's what Warren had to say there in the press conference on Sunday. We'll talk about MacArthur now quickly. Ed, what did you make of them? Because I know Ante Milicic was very disappointed in his side's performance on on Sunday night when we had a chance to talk to him after the game. Was it? Do you think it was just a matter of too many games in a close period of time, or do you think it was a bit of a poor performance from him? No, I think there's a bit of there's a few issues there. I think they they were. I mean, let's not forget this is a side that was top of the league at Christmas, and now they're sixth or something. They haven't won in five. They had that long COVID break. Lots of teams have had a long COVID break. I just start to think that there's he he sets them up to be very, very resolute. They're hard to break down. They don't sort of play a very expansive style of football. Maybe there's some people who've started to work out that there's ways to get in behind their defence or whatever, and there's no real sort of plan to get out of it. The other factor that possibly might come into it, and I don't really know, but there was so much talk pre-season about issues within MacArthur. There was things coming out about... We obviously saw Milligan step away from his coaching role. There was the retirement of Federici. There was lots of talk, but there was discontent and things like that. Maybe that galvanised them a little bit for that start of the season. You know, you pull together and have that 
siege mentality, but then you have a break and you kind of lose all that momentum. I don't know. I, I think there, there's there's a wider problem there, I think, within MacArthur. They haven't been getting the results they want. They got away with one against Central Coast with a couple of worldies that sort of saved a point in that one. So, yeah, there's probably some question marks there, but full credit to the Raw as well. I mean, the Raw took advantage of it and made sure that they didn't take their foot off the throat at any point or let MacArthur back into that game. Absolutely, Adam. They, the Raw have found themselves in that same position with three games in a short period of time. But I think it's a good point that Ed makes that they haven't really come out of that COVID break they have, had they, MacArthur? No, and I found fascinating that, you know, to quote Ante Milicic, the worst 45 minutes in the club's short history. Um, and that, that that's a that's a real far-reaching statement about, you know, what he thought of um, the performance. So, yeah, look, I, I think it's a combination of things. I, I think it's certainly, you know, the, the third game in seven days, always a lot of teams seem to be flat, especially coming out of the COVID break. But uh also, as well, I also think there might be longer, deep-seated issues. I think, yeah, that the back three that they that they play, I think sides have just worked them out. Uh, we we actually foreshadowed on the show last week that, you know, if the Raw started fast and got in behind, they were always going to make life difficult for MacArthur to, to come back. And that, that's pretty much how the script played out. Absolutely, did. And look, you trust you to pump yourself up there. And we'll move on to the league as a whole, actually, Ed. I mean, as we're approaching the halfway mark, what's what has anything really surprised you about the season, or has it pretty much gone the way you thought it would in terms of as a whole, not just Brisbane, but just generally? Uh, well, I mean, Western United are a surprise. Um, it's not very spectacular. It's not like they've taken the league by storm, but you can't argue with the results. They're top of the league and, and they're playing. Okay, football. They're, they're hard to beat, and they're and they're taking their chances. So um, they're probably the standout in terms of surprises. Um, yeah, I think it's still it's still really bizarre. It's such a weird league to try and work out at the moment because everyone's had these COVID breaks all at different times. You got Perth Glory who are sitting last on the ladder, but they've only played eight games. You know, they've got the best defensive record in the league statistically in terms of goals conceded. But they're last. Like, it's, it's a weird competition. And I think you won't really get an idea until we get out of this February period when teams are playing batches of games all once. I think we saw with Wellington, they had three wins on the road and they went basically from going last to right on the edge of the six. So it can transform very quickly in terms of the mood. Sydney FC, people were all talking about whether they were going to be too old and washed up and then they're pushing for top of the league all of a sudden. So, you know, it's it's just a weird competition at the moment. I think it's still yet to sort of settle into where teams really are at. I think you won't really know that until about maybe mid-March when you're about halfway through the season. Yeah, do you think, Ed, that... Or do you think of Western United? Because they're the big surprise to me. So I thought they'd go OK, but not this well. Do you think that just John Ellis has kind of done the copy and paste from what he did in the first year up here in Brisbane, gave him a couple of pretty good recruits from Europe along with a couple of players from around the league who he knows and put together a pretty solid side because it seems like it's a bit of a almost like the first year here in Brisbane they had it looks a very similar sort of side to that one yeah and there's plenty of experience plenty of on-field leaders I mean you've got Kilkenny you've got Diamante Leo Lacroix at the back brings plenty of experience um so I mean look that you're right it probably is a bit of a JA template in terms of first season you're looking to sort of get guys who, who you can trust to bed in your style and things like that um, rather than relying on a bunch of young kids who may not necessarily get what you're trying to do and things. But, look, it's also, I mean, it's it's sort of third chance at a coaching gig for JA. I think you'll probably find he's probably learned a lot from what happened when he was at then Melbourne Heart and um, Brisbane Roar and stuff. So maybe it, it may just be also a case of him maturing as a coach and, and learning a bit more about what he wants to do and how he implements it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the experience that they've got within that side definitely makes a huge difference. Like that's why they're probably winning games 1-0 and stuff like that. You're not panicking, you're not losing your head or anything like that. As opposed to perhaps, say, a Central Coast Mariners where you see they just can't seem to hang on to results, which is perhaps a reflection of their inexperience and things like that. Uh, we've seen the prophet is that he sometimes goes too far with the experienced players and ends up falling apart. But from your from your point of view, what is your what's been your big surprise so far approaching the halfway mark? Uh, other than West United leading, um 
Melbourne victory actually it, it surprised me a little bit, not because of you know we all thought you know Tony Popovich he'll come in you know and get them you know going back in the right direction, but how quickly they've actually sort of you know, come back. Not not say a couple of shock losses here or there, but um, I think yeah Melbourne victory seems to be uh, projecting you know. Yeah, a lot quicker than what we thought that would be. I thought maybe in the season, maybe the end of this season, they'd restart hitting their straps. But you know, Tony Popovich just got them, you know, basically hitting the ground running. And um, look, they're, they're going to be um, you know, a great chance, you know, of you know, pretty much going from last to first uh, if, if, if things go their way. But I look, I agree with Ed that trying to predict this league at the moment, normally you say you don't, you look at the ladder about after 10 rounds. I think with that COVID break wiping out pretty much December and half of January, I think you're now looking at once all teams have played, you know, 15 games, where it will be when you start seeing patterns and where you can't start saying, okay, these teams are going to be playing finals football. These teams are, are definitely not. I think every every team, you know, from 1 to 12, I think at somewhere point still, still can achieve what they want to this season. I think we can probably rule out Western Sydney Wanderers. It's probably 11 out of 12, oh, I but, <laughs> but I get your point. Moving on to, we'll move, leave the A-League men's discussion there. Um, we'll move on to one brief news which came out yesterday. The redevelopment of Ballymore is officially underway. Ed, do you have it? It's good news for rugby, obviously, but do you have any in, inside information on, is there anything potentially in line for football or is it, are we still just at square one waiting to try and find something? Uh, I think there's some discussion. The powers that be are trying to sell this as being a bit of a win for football as well in terms of they'll be able to access all the Ballymore resources and stuff. But there's definitely a feeling within the football, in the Queensland and Brisbane football communities that, again, they've missed out. And, and why isn't this happening for this sport? Now, it could be a combination of reasons. It could be just having a government that doesn't really have any focus on football. It could be the football authorities are not very good at their corporate relations and things like that. They're just not good at playing their connections to get things. Could be a combination of both. We don't really know. But it does seem to be that, you know, other sports with a lot more resources already at their sort of capabilities seem to access these things a lot easier and a lot more regularly than football does, particularly in Queensland. Um, we're also looking at things like we constantly seem to be missing out on Socceroos and Matildas games. They're going to Sydney and Melbourne, places there. Should you be playing to the highest bidder for national team games anyway? But that's just how the system works. So I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one for football fans in Queensland who seem to be the ones who keep missing out. It certainly is. We've gone over that soccer issue many, many times here on the show about how long it's been since they've played a World Cup qualifier here in Brisbane. But do you think, Ed, that maybe there's a chance that once this Ballymore redevelopment is finished, that maybe the Brisbane Raw or an alternative expansion side might look to base themselves out of Ballymore and play games there? Or do you think it's more of a training base? Oh, I mean, I guess there is a potential to play games there. It would make more sense. Um, that, I mean, Redcliffe, we all know, is not actually a terrible like ground for the Raw to play in, but it, it has its issues in terms of logistics. It has its issues in terms of the facilities that are at the ground and things like that. Um, if you could have a venue like that, that's a lot more centralised, that will make a lot more sense. But then it also comes down to things like cost and access and stuff like that. And the problem you're going to have, they seem to be, the the Redcliffe deal seems to work well for the Raw in terms of the fact that there's not a lot of co-tenancy during the summer months. If you've got a facility like Ballymore, where I assume the plan will be that the Reds are going to play some matches, certainly trial matches and things like that there, um, you're going to have co-tenancy problems like you did at Suncorp. You're going to have a, a, a sort of le a, a primary leaseholder who's going to have the right of sort of first refusal. So there's all these things to, to worry about. But if there is a sort of, I don't know, 10, 12, 15,000 seater stadium in the heart of Brisbane that is usable and free, it would make sense to go there. I tend to agree with that. I don't think it's more of a potential for someone like a Brisbane City if they were going to jump into either the A-League as an expansion side or into a potential second division. That might be an ideal home for you. Is that the way you see Ballymore potentially going or do you think the Raw might end up back there? 
I think it'd be a combination of both. I think, um, yeah, de- certainly. I don't just I don't know about with well, the raw, you know, for a league as far as their current model. You know, it relies sort of, you know, somewhat on also, you know, whether it's corporate box facilities, you know, and and whatnot. And and yeah, you know, I think I, I think obviously uh, there's a one sort of public stand. You know, whereas you know football, obviously they like to like obviously the active members like to you know, be. In, you know, watch the game at the end of the end of the grounds, um, depending on wh- which end you're looking at. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, there's always going to be the call for you know for the government to redevelop Ballymore, but uh, not Ballymore to uh, Perry Park. But uh, look, I think that's got its challenges in itself, and I think it goes it goes much deeper than just go oh you know go just redevelop. I think there's, there's so many issues surrounding that that I think that it's massively understated uh, how difficult it would be to get something like a 15,000 seat stadium, you know, to you know, take the footprint at Perry Park at the moment. So, or as we call it here, Park de Paris. Yes, the Park de Paris. Well, we have the Raw have played games at the We'll transition now into discussing the A-League women's game on Sunday. There was an 8-2, we 8-2 discussed if we have to. It was an 8-2 win for Adelaide over the Brisbane Raw. Five goals for Fiona Watts, one for Matilda McNamara, one for Chelsea Dorber, and an own goal. Two goals for Shea Connors, but Ed, that were they were pretty much consolation goals, weren't they? Uh, yeah, the game was well and truly over as a contest by that point. Um, I, I actually thought credit to Gareth McPherson after the game when he spoke to us. I actually thought he he, he was perfectly um, legitimate in his criticisms. He 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 didn't hold back. He didn't sort of try and sugarcoat it or come up with excuses. He he just said that it wasn't an acceptable which was absolutely correct. We all know that there's a few issues with the Royal women's team. They're in a transitional phase. They've lost a lot of experience, all these sort of things. But that doesn't give you the excuse to perform like that. It was too easy for Adelaide. They were walking goals in at some points. So I think, yeah, you can you can question talent, you can question experience and things like that, but there was, there was an effort problem there on the weekend, and I think that was probably the most worrying thing. Yeah, and we'll get into Brisbane. I just want to start off with congratulating Alex. I thought it was a fantastic performance from a side who, we, who we've seen pushing and improving in the last two years. Got close to making the finals last year. It looks like they might make it this year. They were really impressive, weren't they, Adam? Yeah, look, I just think get this one I think one way to look at it is that Adelaide really put um, a poor raw, raw side to the sword. Um, there, there, there were some goals where they were pretty much gifted. Um, obviously, the first two goals, a mistake at the back uh, from Mia Bailey, pretty much handed Chelsea Dorber probably the easiest goal she'll score in a while. Um, and then the own goal, which pretty much took the wind out of the sails straight away. But at the eight-goal scoreline, it's also a case of, while Raw made some really, really you know, bad mistakes, there were some really, there were some cracking goals as well. Fiona Ward, especially, she really announced herself, you know, to the A uh, to the A League women sort of as a whole. If you weren't aware already, you know, five goals and a few crackers amongst those. So, uh, look, congratulations to Adelaide. I think that the way they played, um, they were just absolutely relentless. Um, poor Anna McGrath on in that left back role, unfamiliar role, and she got absolutely, um, yeah, just. By by uh, Dylan Holmes and uh, Chelsea Dorber and Fiona Ward, so just absolutely exploited that side, that side of the pitch. And yeah, it's yeah, it, like I said, they'll, they'll, I reckon Adelaide, you know, they play like that. I reckon they'd really um, take it to Sydney and and uh, and Melbourne, Sydney on on that performs on that performance. I, I think I think the Brisbane Roar can also have uh, a lot of disappointment towards the referee from the uh, Adelaide game against the glory beforehand because I think Adelaide were absolutely steaming about that game and how that game had turned out and they were firing on all cylinders in this one they did not we all know the history with Adelaide and finals and just missing out and all these sort of things I think there was a sense of determination there and it possibly was a case of having one team with everything to play for and another team whose season is basically sort of done and they're probably cruising towards the end, or well, maybe not cruising is the right word, but they you know, they don't have the same levels of motivation. And I think Adelaide just blew them away, like absolutely tore them off the park. So, yeah, it was, it was a worry for Brisbane, but also, yeah, you're correct. Adelaide were sensationally good. So, now before we talk about Brisbane, let's hear what Gutsman first now actually say on Sunday after the 8-2 defeat to Adelaide United. Yeah, I was really disappointed in, in, in the the way we defended. Uh, it 
it's it's unacceptable. Like some of the one v one defending, the way we were dealing with some of their crosses, early balls behind, was just wasn't good. Um, they they were very good, uh, clinical, um, took their chance as well. Uh, and as a coach, what do you do in a situation where you've had a defeat like this with the game on Friday? Is there much you can change between now and then or just pick yourself up and go again? Uh, we, we, we have to, well, we've got to reflect back on in terms of our, our mental preparation. That, that, that is not our best, uh, full stop. We've seen our best and at our best we, 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 we can uh, compete with any team in the competition. So um, we'll be, I guess, we need to go back to look at how our preparation, the pre-match talk, what did yesterday's meeting look like, um, maybe how we dealt with the occasion, the big occasion of Mini's kind of celebration as well. Uh, so tactically, uh, there, there'll be things that we'll pick out um, to prepare for Canberra. But uh, from staff to player, how, how was it that we turned up today ready to perform? That's what Gareth had to say after the game on Sunday. And Ed, you mentioned he, he did use the word unacceptable, so I'll use it as well. It was completely unacceptable as a performance of the Raw, wasn't it? But do you think that the early goal that they did concede, the unfortunate goal where Mebele gave the ball up in the defensive third and Chelsea Dorber pounced on, do you think that almost just shattered any confidence that the team had? Because it seemed that way watching it from the, from the sideline, didn't it? Well, it certainly would have got Adelaide up and ready to go. They were ahead and they, they got what they wanted early. Um, but I do think that like, like it just, they just Brisbane just didn't seem to be up for the game. They just didn't seem to. There, there were times when, as you say, that that attacking potency that Adelaide has with Dorber and Warts and those sort of players, they were they were streaming through at points, and you know they were just outmanning the raw defence. And so I mean, it, it just I don't know. There's all these discussions as well that go on around this time of year about the, the length of the A-League women's season and, and things like that. You are talking about a competition where we're essentially talking about there's five teams left that have something to play for this season, really. So I think when you get into those circumstances and you are up against it slightly and you're playing a team that's hungry and motivated, sometimes it can be hard to keep your motivation levels up, particularly if you've got a lot of young and experienced players and stuff like that. So I think Gareth was right to call it out as unacceptable. I understand how these things can happen when you've got sort of a youngish team. But, yeah, that, that performance wasn't wasn't good enough by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Adam, we've mentioned on this show plenty of times this season, it's, it's individual errors that are just hurting this team. It is, but also as well, I think, uh, also as well, it's, it's real, I guess what's, you know, really shows the disappointment as well is that this is marketed as a big game. You know, Katrina Gorey's, you know, 100th celebration, we'll call it, because it's not exactly her 100th game, as she played a couple there. Um, what I thought was very, very odd was that they, after they did their warm ups, so about 10, 15 minutes to go, they, they actually did the tribute. You know, they had they had all the ex players, you know, on the big screen, um, coming, you know, basically, you know, giving messages of, you know, appreciation to to Katrina and, you know, and all that. And you could see the raw, the raw's warm up just stopped. And now they're in a huddle. Um, they're there in a huddle. Obviously, uh, Katrina's at the front. She, she's obviously a bit emotional, seeing you know, a lot of her ex teammates, you know, send through messages. I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on it, but I just question whether that was the right move. That you know, that you know, whether it was not as far as the right move. Maybe the intent was to fire them up to get them up for the big occasion. But then after that mistake at the back, it basically just went the opposite direction, completely backfired. Um, so I, I found that very, very curious that they actually chose to do that. You know, obviously, you know, Katrina's probably you know the you know the, the talisman of the. Of the of the women's side of the club at the moment, um, absolutely deserved. There's no question about that. But I just, yeah, I just, I wonder if what they did after their warm-ups, I just wonder if that had, you know, after then what happened in the first five minutes, where that just had a, you know, it just completely backfired. It possibly did. It's a great question. I will, we'll, we don't know, but it possibly did. But Ed, the, we'll move on to the second time. Injury to Mia Bailey, it was, Really bad, wasn't it? I think it's a, some. I think it's some sort. It's a leg injury. Obviously, it looks really bad, doesn't it? And do you have any have any update on how bad that injury was for me, or are we still waiting to find out? Yeah, we haven't heard anything yet, but it doesn't sound great at all. Yeah. Obviously, um, Gareth said to us after the game that she'd gone straight to hospital, which is 
you know, <laughs> that's never a good sign. That indicates something's fairly serious. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit I didn't actually see the incident. I just obviously noticed that she was down. Um, she obviously seemed to be in a lot of pain. There was a lot of sort of uh, furious gesticulating from the medical staff and stuff to try and get her on a stretcher and get her a, a, a receiving treatment as quickly as possible. So, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't sound good. I haven't seen anything official from the club, any sort of update or anything like that. So we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Possibly, I guess, tomorrow there might be some news that comes out ahead of Friday's game. Um, but yeah, it, it creates an interesting situation, obviously, with Georgie Worth. We still don't quite know her fitness scenario either. So yeah, it could be an interesting one for Friday. It very well could be. It was very innocuous, wasn't it? Because it was like a kind of a. She went to make the save, and we didn't quite get there. It was a good finish from Fiona Woods. But then she did get up again before going down with the ultimately in the pain. But it's just a weird one. Obviously, Isabella Shuttleworth, she came in off the bench, made her debut play number 109. For the Brisbane Roar and the Alley Women's, so congratulations to Bella. But it was a bit of a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? And a, and a tough moment for Bella actually to step into. It is, yeah. It's just a tough all round, you know. Obviously, you know, it's if probably you know, after conceding seven goals, you know, and not not all were, you know, Mia's fault. Uh, but obviously, it must be a horrible day to live in infamy for her because. Um, yeah, you know, if you can see seven goals and having to be, you know, cut off the hospital, you know, for what did look like an innocuous fall, she's probably, you know, done a hundred times in training and games. Um, yeah, I, I just feel really, really bad for her. I think, you know, the majority of the fans would, um, if not all of them. So, uh, yeah, but uh, look, Bella, at the end of the day, only, only conceded one goal in the end. Um, and yeah, and like, I think that at the moment, uh, by, by all counts, she'll, she'll probably get the start against Canberra on uh, Friday night and we'll, we'll see what she can do. But um, we, we certainly know what she can do at, you know, at MPL level, even at that state v state game, which was the hero of the penalty shootout against New South Wales. So we'll see what, what she can do. But um, yeah, no, I really feel sorry for uh, Mia Bailey, especially. Absolutely, we know, uh, you know um, Isabel Shuttleworth's got great reflexes in her, you know, shot-stopping ability. It's a very tough spot to be thrown into, isn't it? Coming off the bench at 7-1 down. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think towards the end of the game, she made quite a smart save as well from one of the Adelaide chances. Um, and she looked, I mean, hard to tell, you're just sort of reading body language and stuff like that, but she, she did, seemed fairly confident. She didn't seem to sort of be suffering from nerves or anything like that, which seems to indicate somebody who's got a lot of belief and, and um, didn't seem to be overawed by the occasion. So that's an encouraging sign. And I guess the one positive is having had that limited sort of, what was it, 20, 25 minutes off the bench, if she is thrown in against Canberra on Friday, She's she's played in the early sort of level. She's she's done that. That's out of the way. You can just focus on playing the game. You know? And I guess you get that full week of preparation. Uh, we'll as the one keeper, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, absolutely. She she. I'm assuming if the news from Mia hasn't been great, she would have known very early on that she's probably going to be playing this game. So that helps as well. Correct. Looking ahead to that Canberra game, now which they played a, a, a early in the year as a draw, but do you think um? How would you approach this if it was you in charge? Would you give these players the opportunity to to redeem themselves after that performance on Sunday, or would you start to make a couple of changes if there are any players available to come back in? Uh, that's a tricky one. Uh, Canberra will be coming with their tails up after last yeah. night, um, and there's obviously a certain uh, very experienced and talented centre-forward that they've got who will fancy yourself against that defence, having watched what happened on the weekend. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think there is always the temptation to sort of make sweeping changes after a result like that, but that can also destroy players' confidence and belief and things like that. So I suspect there might be a couple of changes. Um, as you suggested, um, Adam, the, the McGrath thing, I don't think it really worked. She just didn't look like a left-back. You know, she was getting overrun. She looked a bit positionally lost at times. So maybe that's one area that you can change. But I guess it depends who you've got to come into that position. So there's question marks there, maybe one or two. I don't think there'll be like a culling of, say, eight, nine players and let's go with a whole new team. But maybe there'll be one or two differences just to sort of, you know, try and try and do some new ideas. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I'd, I would certainly give the players the opportunity to redeem themselves. That would be the approach I'd go. They will have Annabelle half in the back after her suspension, so that might be a way they can rejig the defence. Adam, is that the way you'd go as well, give these players the opportunity to redeem themselves? Yeah, look, I think Annabel Hafferton comes back and strides straight away. She goes and centre back to Miller Rankin, goes to a preferred left back role, um, and, and and we see we go from there. At least it's uh, so it's sort of um, where where it's sort of you know a bit more settled. Right back, yeah, we'll see if Nelly Tatham um, retains a spot or if you know Anna McGrath or even Isabel Folletta may come in. So I think that defensively, I think that's where they um, probably the, the most focus of changes. Uh, everywhere else, I think it will be as is and who's available. Uh, I, I can't really see many changes. Maybe um, Stamatopoulos Paulus might come in for you know a Katana or a Holly Palmer, who's probably still making her way back in. You know, she sort of had a fairly nightmarish game, um, considered the own goal and was, was placed at half time. I don't know if that was a tactical thing or whether that's still a um, minutes management uh, issue. But uh, but yeah, so that, that may be the only change. But I think yeah. I think the players, I think at the end of the day, they need to take ownership of um, that that 8-2 defeat. And I think they've got to try and redeem themselves. I think it's the only way forward for them, uh, realistically, at this stage of the season. I, I, I don't think it, it does anything, to, as I said, to go the mass cull and basically drop half the team. Because that performs, I think that those players, at least, you know, if they get if they get smashed again by Canberra on Friday night, then, you know, maybe Gareth McPherson needs to name go more drastic measures to really sort of, you know, get something out. But I think for Friday, I think, you know, other than that, the one or two changes, I think that they need to keep it like that and let the players redeem themselves. Absolutely. And Adam, on this game on and camera Friday night, they've all played five games at home this year for five defeats. Will they get their first win of the season at home? Oof, geez. <laughs> Last chance, obviously, to do it, so. Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think it'll be a draw. I think um, they'll, they'll be better. I think uh, Canberra, Canberra sort of on the short turnaround. Obviously, they'll, they'll put up a fight. But I think I think this is a draw against two sides that, you know, realistically are playing for pride name only. Um, like I said, both of them, are, their finals hopes are gone. So, so, so yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm probably thinking a score draw. What are your thoughts? Obviously, Canberra have had the busy week. Obviously, the defeat to Wellington. Congratulations to Wellington Phoenix, by the way, for their first win in the Allegheny. It's a fantastic achievement for them. But Canberra had that game as well as the game last night. What are your thoughts on the on the on the chances on Friday night? Uh, well, they'll come. They'll, they'll come up full of confidence. They'll certainly come up with a more belief than they would have if they came up after that Wellington Phoenix game. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing to meet them after they've smashed the Wanderers or whether you meet them after they've been beaten by the Phoenix and they might be a bit flattened down. Who knows? Um, I guess you, you talk about giving the players a chance of redemption. As you talk about, the finals opportunities are gone. So there's not necessarily anything on the line in this match apart from the actual result of the game. So that probably is another incentive, I guess, for Gareth to stick with the majority of the players who played in their Adelaide game. Um, it's not like you're playing for any sort of sheet stations you're playing to prove a point and it it's going to be far more beneficial to the team if they can get some kind of positive response positive result out of this game than if you just chuck them all out and play a different team who may well lose anyway and you know then you've not really solved the problem so that's probably another factor for keeping those players that you kept in the side um in terms of the game the, the, the big question about the game is where the hell is it going to be played because <laughs> Tentatively, it's been scheduled for the training field at Carrara near Metricon Stadium, which is an interesting choice if they do play there. I'd be very interested to see how that cuts on the bus. Um, but I've heard that they're, they're, they're hoping that they'll be able to play at Perry Park. That's what I've heard, is that they want to confirm that. But that creates another issue, and, and it's a wider issue with the whole league as well. Like We're two days out from the game being played, and we don't know what the venue is. I mean, that's a bit silly. As a, prof a professional league, you're talking about preparation as sort of a big thing with sports teams and all this sort of stuff. If you don't know where you're actually playing fixtures, it's a bit silly, I think. I just, I just think it's, it's ridiculous that we're two days out from the game being played and we still actually don't really have a venue for it. I actually feel sorry for Canberra. Like I said, that's uh, if it is, if the decision comes through, look, maybe even while we're talking, that it's going to be at Perry Park. That's a wholesale changes of flights. You know, it's a very 
different story flying into Coolangatta as opposed to flying into um, into Brisbane Airport. So it's, it's yeah, I, look, I agree. It's ridiculous that, you know, professional league and they're always, you know, wanting, you know, to, to you know, put their best foot forward. But then you have comical stuff like this where they still haven't um, confirmed where the um, match is going to be. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a good look. I was not saying Parc de Pre would obviously be the preferred choice for all for the three of us. But Ed, if you've been to the Gold Coast training centre down there, is it actually set up for games or is it just genuinely a training pitch? It's What's the setup like down there? It is genuinely a pitch that's behind the number two footy AFL oval. Um, yeah, it is literally just there might be some temporary standing that they can put in. We're talking like, you know, two or three wheeled them in banks of seats. But I mean it <laughs> It's not a venue for a, for a league game, I would have thought. But who knows? Uh, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's, I think it probably will wind up being played at Perry Park and the club's probably pretty confident that they're going to get the game at Perry Park. But it just seems weird to me that we're 48 hours or so before the game's being played and we still don't know where it's going to be played at this point in time. I guess it may well be announced soon. Hopefully, we'll just see. Hopefully. Some things ever change in Australian football, so I know about that. We'll move on now to we wrap up the show with our weekend preview for the A-League men. So we won't focus too much on the Wellington game being played on Wednesday night because it'll probably be by the time you listen to this, it'll probably already have been played. But they do the Raw do make their trip down to Tasmania to Launceston on Sunday afternoon to play against the Perth Glory. Adam, what are your thoughts on that one? And how many points do you think the Raw might be able to pick up in these two games, including the Wellington one being played tonight? I think it's important, and, uh, and Warren Moon did state this in the uh, press conference, that you know, while the home form is good, uh, scoring goals or not, it's the away form that's really sort of you know, anchoring them at the moment as far as you know, making any real forward progress up the ladder. So I think that you know, a minimum four out of six you know, would, would be uh, a, a good result for the Raw over these next two games um, tonight and um, on, uh, on Sunday. So, you know, this is the first of three games Perth are playing down in Launceston, I believe, before they get a long homestand back in the West. Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, it's such an interesting thing for them. Like, their season has just been really, really... It hasn't even really got started, to be honest with you. As I said, they've, they've played less games than anyone in the competition. They've played one game at home, which was their first game of the season. They've been in, in and out of COVID sort of isolation and things like that so it's just really hard to get a gauge on where they're at I actually think that they've probably been playing above where they should be in terms of given everything that's been thrown at them um personnel changes all that sort of thing as well uh they're a resolute side we saw that against the Mariners on the weekend they they really were under the pump um, against Central Coast and managed to jag a point with sort of a you know long ball pump bit of a scramble in the box and score in the 93rd minute kind of thing. But it shows that there's a spirit there. It shows that there's a team that's fighting. So I think uh, they'll have to be wary, the Raw, of coming up against a team that's going to be pretty um, up for it. And I guess the one thing that probably works for them now is the fact that they've got these Tasmanian games locked in. They sort of know where they're going to be based for a bit. And, and there is now the realistic prospect of going home, which... I know is a big spur for them. It's been sort of purgatory almost for the glory <laughs> sitting on the East Coast just wondering what the hell's going on. So they could they could be right up for it. You know, they they've had a they've had a good news week in terms of what's logistically happening to them. So they could be right up for it. It'd be it'd be an interesting game for sure. It's anyway, do you think anything you can take out of the first game between these two sides earlier in the year? Or I think it's one of those where you've almost got to write it off given that it was Glory's first game back after a very long COVID break and Brisbane had played three games in a week. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, Brisbane were tired. <laughs> and, they were. And Perth were probably just not fresh. So it wasn't the greatest game of football, but, I mean, it was also an important game for the Raw because it was their, their first three points. It was a breakthrough kind of win for them that they really needed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, good win. Um and it, it was a it was a game again. It's just hard to get a gauge. You don't really know where teams are at because they're playing so many games at different times and things like that. It wasn't a great spectacle. I expect that it'll probably be a better game um, on the weekend because both teams are probably a bit more ready for it. 
Yeah, it's it's gonna. So I think yeah, pretty much the game up here, Morton Day Stadium. I think different circumstances. I, I think uh, Perth are going to put up a you know a much better account of themselves. Um, I think they're not they're not going to fade away after seventy minutes like they did against the Raw um, up here. So I, I think it's a very it's a a danger game for the Raw in terms of if they if they want to you know get the win. Uh, up there, but I think yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I think obviously any time it's in neutral territory, um, you just don't know with the elements as well, especially for Raw. Uh, Long Systems is not a place that they've. I, I don't think they've been to play there before, so I think that that I once. The... I'll tell you in a minute. Go on. Okay, no, no, <laughs> Mr. Stat, Mr. Statman's got 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 us covered. So so yeah, but fairly unfamiliar territory. So look, you expect anything from this game, but. Uh, Look, I'm, I'm I'm thinking we'll probably we're looking probably at a draw for um, this this game between Perth and uh, and Raw. Well, I'll go to that stat now, Adam. They have not played a competitive game down in Tasmania, but they did play victory in a preseason game back in 2010-11, which Melbourne Victory did win. So there is that. But it's a long time since they played down in Tasmania. Either way, the final questions of the show. Warren mentioned this in his press conference on Sunday. He had about trying to find consistency. Do you think that's been the real buzzword around the team this week about trying to find that consistency with these two away games? But if they can potentially pick up some four to six points in these two games, really jolting themselves up the ladder? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the one thing that's been missing all season is sort of the back-to-back-to-back performances. They sort of they pick up a result and then things sort of drop away and then they'll pick up another result and drops away. So, I mean, that's the big thing that the Raw need to find now. I, I think it's coming, personally. I, I think you can see in the performances, you can see in the results, that it is coming together slowly. Um, as I said, that, that that win over MacArthur on the weekend was probably the best 90 minutes that we've seen from the Raw this season. Um, so, I mean, I think there's reasons to be positive. And as we've seen, the table's so congested that a good week, they pick up a couple of good results on the road here, they can rock it right up into that sort of finals contention and, and things are looking rosy again, aren't they? Absolutely, Adam. Yeah, look, I think yeah, kid consistency is the, the key word. If they if they start putting um, their road performances similar to what they've been doing at home, yeah, all of a sudden I think we start talking them, you know, more as you know a finals prospect rather than sort of, you know holding up the bottom of of the ladder. But I think again, it's how close this league is at the moment. Two or three good performances in a row, and all of a sudden you go from you know tenth, eleventh, twelfth, right into you know on the edge of the six. I think if I can just butt in as well, I think it's not just about consistency overall. It's about consistency in game as well. Like we saw with that Newcastle game, they they played really well, but they also had a couple of moments where they switched off, and those were the moments when Newcastle scored and they get the points. So that's something that they've got to work on is making sure that they they really do play the whole game consistently well, and that's what they did against Macarthur, and they got a great result. So keep doing that. So that should absolutely be the plan. Donald Dufferson of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you for joining us, Ed. Pleasure, guys. It's been fun. I'll have to get back on again at some point. Thank you, thank you, Adam. Yep, thanks, Ed. Uh, by the way, just uh, got got a message through. The game apparently has been confirmed for Perry Park on Friday night for the yeah. uh, Royal Women. So, so yeah, that's uh, that came through on the wire while we've been talking, as as predictably thought. So, so yeah, uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see each other on Friday night. I think someone's bugged this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Breaking news. That's good. At least they've made a decision. Yeah. They have no there's a big crowd down there at Park to Prairie on Friday night to to cheer on the Royal Women in their final home game. It says, Bell Dove, this is an Football Review. We'll be back once again next week. We'll talk to you all again then.